You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Act Two. A brief montage. We see Beatrice enter the boiler room with a tray of food. As Destiny walks over, Beatrice serves her the meal. She begins cleaning from the dinette table as she intently watches Destiny eat everything from her plate, as well as drink her glass of milk. Beatrice then, shake, then takes the glass from her, places it on tray, and exits the boiler room. Destiny moves back towards the cot. Time passed on in the boiler room, and talk of killing Destiny seemed for now to be averted. Perhaps they'd move to PR after all, and peace might be asserted. Amerigo enters. The odd man had proven effective in changing the strange lady's mind about slaughter. But was this a calm before the storm, or was there something far worse in store for their pretend daughter? Beatrice exits. The odd man was now used to Destiny's cries and comfortable with her as a captive. He seemed to enjoy the frightened question in her eyes, and as a bully, he'd proven adaptive. Controlling another skin, someone's body and soul, was proving to be a lure. He could not escape. He told herself it was all normal. But the truth was, his heart was taking on a far darker shape. Lights up on Destiny. I feel sick. That's because you didn't eat your lunch. No, I ate it all. Beatrice always watches me, but oh. now I feel sick. Maybe your friend the Grinch will rub your belly for you. He's mad at you. He says you keep messing with the boiler. I don't give a shit what he says. I have to fix it. It's my job. He says you think you're fixing the boiler, but you're just messing with the vent. He says you should turn the vent off and forget about it, and he doesn't like your cursing. Yeah? Well, he can suck my balls. My book is gone. Yeah, I know. Last night, Beatrice gave me an extra pill. She always gives me two, but last night I counted three pills. You always watch me to make sure I drink, I drink it down with my glass of milk, and I fell asleep real fast. And when I woke up today, I wanted to read my book, but I can't find it. I left it here. You took it, didn't you? No. You're not supposed to steal things. If you steal and you lie, you won't deserve the good heat. Oh, come on. You won't deserve the Bordican sun. Destiny. That's my favorite book. The Grinch took it. This what? stops her. What? Yeah, you know, he uh, knew we didn't like you, uh, you reading it. He's your friend, right? Well, he didn't want you to get into trouble. He took the book and gave it to me and Beatrice. I don't know what Beatrice did with it, but maybe she hid it somewhere. Or maybe she threw it away. I don't know. Why didn't he tell me? He knows it's my favorite book. He knows how much I love it. He didn't want you to be angry with him. He wants to protect you. He wants to keep you safe. The Grinch loves you, right? He loves you the way I love Beatrice. The way we all love you. Beatrice isn't happy with you. She still loves you, but she's not happy. You need to be careful. You have to watch what you say. Don't talk to her about the book. Don't talk about it anymore. You can't love a book. You can't love something that won't love you back, that won't touch you. A book doesn't need you. People need you. You're supposed to love people. And the Grinch knows that. So you see... There's nothing wrong, Nina. There's nothing to get upset about. We're still friends, right? Okay. Oh, come on. That don't sound very convincing. 
You're still my Taina princess, right? We're still going to be Taino Indians together, aren't we? We're still going to Kuave together, yes? Aren't you taking me to Kuave? You promised. I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Maybe you didn't take my book, but you took me. So? You stole me. The way the Grinch stole Christmas. We took you so you couldn't be, so you could be a part of our family. You complete me and Beatrice. It's the three of us against the world now, Destiny. You know, we're like the, like, the three musketeers. But if you steal, you can't go to the good side of Guave. Uh, you're creeping me out again, you know that? It's important to be on the good side. You don't want to be on the bad side. Why not, huh? What's in the bad side? The bad side of Kuavi is ruled by Huracan, and he's the evil god of the winds. The bad side is where you try to talk, but all the little pebbles and seashells rise up in your throat and they choke you. It means you're a Maboya, and there's a bad spirit inside you, so none of the other Taino ghosts will talk to you, because they're not allowed, because they're scared. Sounds of a dog growling. Americo is immediately alert. What the fuck was that? Guaviron. Who? Dog growls. Americo jumps. Guaviron. The dog. He leads souls in through the Coabi fog. The Grinch calls him Max, but he's not really the Grinch's dog. Again, the sounds of a dog growling. A horrible sound from the boiler. What the fuck? And that's the Grinch. But he's still in the boiler. Americo frantically peers into the dark behind the boiler. I don't see. I can't see anything. Guaviron is here. He's going to lead someone in co- into Coabi. Destiny, this shit isn't funny. A darting shadow passes by Americo. What the... What the fuck was that? What is that, Destiny? Is that it? Is that the dog? I don't know. He moves so fast. I can't see him. What did you see? I don't know. I, I heard panting the way an animal does. Jesus Christ. The, the Grinch will take me and Guaviron won't bite me. The dog growls. Amerigo pulls out a long screwdriver from his tool belt and turns toward the direction of the dog noises. But I can't say the same for you. Motherfucker! I'll cut your damn head off! That's what I'll fucking do! I see him! Where? Over I where? I see Guabiron. There! That corner over there! He's looking right at you. I don't think he'll budge one inch. He's right next to the boiler now, and behind him, I'm sure it's the Grinch. Is he drooling? You know, from his mouth? Can you see white foamy stuff? I know when he gets angry. He makes the strange little cough. Oh, yeah. Well, come on then, you shit. I'll cut your fucking head off. The snarls of a dog are heard. Amerigo continues to lunge the air. He's not going to hurt you. He's just waiting. Waiting for what? To take one of us into Guave. He waits for Guayaba to give the okay. Guayaba waits for Yaya to okay the okay. Yaya is God. So, Guabiron waits for God. He's the dog of God. I've seen the dog before. I've seen it before. I've heard it growling. I've heard it gnash its teeth at me. Maybe it means you're going to Guave. Maybe I don't want to fucking go, all right? I'm still a young man. Oh, hold on. I still got shit to prove in this world. I've tried to make a good life. I've tried to be good. But I got trapped, you know? It's not my fault that I'm in the Bronx and I'm broke and I'm Puerto Rican. Jesus, what the fuck do you want from me, huh? I'm Puerto Rican. My mommy is Puerto Rican. Don't talk about your mommy. And we're not trapped. I don't hear it anymore. Is it still here? I don't know. 
Maybe he's just being quiet now. But if you've seen him already, you'll probably see him again. Yeah. Well, the next time he comes, I'll be ready for him. I'll be ready. It might not be enough. I'm not gonna be scared. You hear me, Destiny? I don't know how you're doing this, but you're not gonna frighten me. You're not gonna get me, Nena. I'm not scared. He exits in an angry huff. I am. The panic that they were feeling strained itself across the room. It was a wound in need of healing in this stifling, airless tomb. They weren't alone in their trepidation since fear was catching in its depth and spread. Now the strange woman had a new frustration, yet another bump to her troubled head. Lights up on Beatrice. Someone's moving the furniture. I woke up this morning and the bed was on the other side of the room. Medico swears he didn't see anything. He thinks I moved it myself and forgot about it. But the bed, the bed was on the other side of the room. I'm sure of it. It's never faced the window before. I moved it back right away. I don't want to face the window. I don't want to look at the window. So I moved the bed back and it took me forever because it's so heavy. And this morning, it was right back in front of the window. Again. Now it faces the window again. But there's more. Before I woke up, before the sun stung my eyes, I I felt a hand. Well, I, I felt something pushing down against my face, trying to cut off my breath. The weight of it pushing against my mouth and nose and whatever it was, I think it, it have fur. Yes. My God. It had fur on it. I think it was fur because I felt it. I, I felt the hair. There was hair. There was hair. I'm sure of it. There was a lot of hair. And it scratched against my skin around my mouth. And it smelled of heat and sewage. And the hair was wet. And this hairy hand was, was trying to kill me. Because I struggled against the hand or whatever. I tried to breathe and I struggled against this weight. And it only pressed down harder against my mouth, the nose, and some of its hair just got in my mouth. And I choked on it. I began to choke on it. I started crying against the wet hand and I must have passed out or something because when I woke up again, the hand was gone. So I reached over to take my pills. Well, I took three pills last night, and this morning I'd hoped to set aside the pills that I would take for today. But the pills are not there now. I, I don't, I know I didn't misplace them, but they're not where I put them. And now I don't have any more pills. We see that Beatrice has moved into the boiler room, and Destiny has joined her. I'm going to bring you more soup. I'm not hungry. It's raining today. You know what that means? God's crying. Yes. My mommy says that when it rains, it helps the plants grow. And it don't matter if it's raining in the Bronx or any place else. They still grow. They're still green. But the green is strange. 
You have to be careful with the color. The rain helps it to keep its color. Well, it rained here on my wedding day. That was a bad sign. That meant bad things would happen during my marriage. Some people say it's good luck when it rains on your wedding day, but they don't know. They don't live in the Bronx. It made sense I was scared. You were scared of a medical? I was scared of getting married, of being married. I was supposed to be a nun, but I loved the medical. So I had to get married. What else could I do? But dampness from the rain made my wedding veil stick to my skin, and it felt too much like a shroud, like the kind you put over dead people's faces. It was too close to my skin because of the moisture. It cut off my breath. I thought I'd suffocate while the priest talked about my obeying Americo, and the green outside glowed like radiation. Don't be scared, Beatriz. That's what my grandmother said. On the day I married Americo, she told me that on my wedding night, I had to lie very still and pretend that I was a huge white dove flying off to meet with Jesus Christ in the heavens. She said that she said that way I, I would fall asleep with nice Christian thoughts in my head. She, th she said that's how a woman who shows respect to her husband on her wedding night. She said that's what it means to be good. That's what it means to be a virgin. Did it work? No. It hurt. It never felt light. It felt blood. I don't think my mommy lies still and pretends that she's a dove. No, I don't think she does either. Does she bring home a lot of men? Yes. That's because she has no respect for anything. She's young. That's no excuse. She says she wants to be my friend more than my mommy. Well, she can't do that. She pretends she's my big sister sometimes, but only when we have company. And not just men. I don't understand. She says I can help people. But you can't. Yes, I can. There are people who live in the building. Sometimes they come and they visit me, and I try to help them. You know Mr. Gonzalez, who lives on the fifth floor? His wife got really sick and died last year. He thought she was trying to visit him in a dream, but he couldn't understand what she was saying to him because she died of lung cancer. And every time she tried to talk to him, all this black syrup kept pouring out of her mouth. Oh, my God. It was really bad. He missed her so much. But all the black syrup scared him, and he couldn't understand her. She sounded like she was underwater. He couldn't hear her, so Mommy brought him to see me. I put my hand on Mr. Gonzalez's chest, and then I could hear her. No, you didn't, honey. That's blasphemy. You're not God. I don't have to be. You shouldn't be lying to these people. But I'm not. It don't always work anyway, because my mommy says I have to grow up first. You're just a little girl. That's why you're in pain. You miss Christopher. Would you like me to help you? Stop saying that. You want to talk to Christopher? But I can't. You say you can hear him in your chest. That's good. If you let me. Just don't touch me. Don't you want to hear him? You said you can hear him crying. That's different. That happens from my memory. I can see him in my mind. I know. I feel your memory. That's impossible. What do you hear? 
Destiny has placed her hand lightly on Beatrice's chest. It's okay, Beatrice. What do you hear? I can remember. I remember. Lights change. The lights indicate a shift to an alternate subconscious reality. Destiny has opened her mouth slightly. Sounds of a child's laughter are heard emanating from inside her mouth. Beatrice is enthralled by the sounds and leans in towards it. You broke me. You opened me. Child's laughter becomes louder. Beatrice responds. I can hear him. I hear him. He's in heaven, isn't he? Do you really want to know? Yes. Please. Then wait. She opens her mouth again. We begin to hear a child's crying and gurgling. This continues as Beatrice moves closer to her. She is touched and deeply moved, almost reaching out towards destiny. And then suddenly the sounds begin to change. Beatrice hears flames. She begins to hear the crash of demons. And then she is hearing her child in Devilland. No! Christopher is in heaven! He's not in Devilland! It's a lie! Beatrice runs out. The strange lady knew that this could no longer go on. There was no need to restrain. Something ghastly had made itself known to her. It was cruel and quite grinchy, and like the strange lady herself, completely insane. She'd have to convince the odd man for the sake of their wedlock. Even if she must scream and cry, this situation had been in a deadlock. But destiny, evil destiny, needed to pay for her wicked lie. That girl had no gravity, and her cruelty must finally be taken in hand. She must never be allowed to lie again about Christopher, especially about Christopher being in Devilland. Lights up. Amerigo is now with Beatrice. He is agitated. We do not see destiny. Yesterday morning, I saw them. It's old Mrs. Santiago who lives across the street. She told the cops she remembered seeing Destiny the day she disappeared. She told the cops and Destiny's mother that she saw her with a woman. No one will ever believe her. She's old and feeble. You think they give a shit? I saw Destiny's mother with them. She was crying. She was trying to make them understand that they haven't done enough, that they haven't searched enough. I heard her. She looked pale but she was pretty aggressive with them. Bea, she's not gonna give up. She won't let go. They're gonna have to come back. There's no question of it. They're gonna search the whole building. It doesn't matter. All of the apartments, even here, in the boiler room. We have to get Destiny out of here. We have to get out of here. I'm putting boric acid in all the food I'm giving her. Our medical stares at her. I'm not sure if it will do the job, but I don't know what else to use. It's gotta be doing something, right? She's already told me she had a stomach ache. She's had it for two days now, but it's not working quickly enough. How long? About a week. We talked about this. Yeah, but it was just talk. 
Just talk. She lies, Emerico. She says her mother brings her people who want to talk to their dead loved ones. Destiny says she can speak to the dead. I know. She has no gravity. I don't give a fuck what she's got or don't got. She only waits now for one final push out of this world. Bea, this is not a fucking game. I know that. We have to get out of here. That's it. We pack up and we get out of here. You won't make me a coward. Bea, please. No. I won't stay quiet as a cop. We can't afford to. Not this time. We talked about it enough. Pero mujer, talking and killing are two different things. They're different. This is not about killing. Like hell it's not. No, it's not. This is not about killing. Don't use the word kill. This is not about a kill. A kill is mindless. A kill is a mechanical, heartless action. Like killing a roach. You don't think about it. You just... It's just something you do. We're not like that. We're not heartless, Americo. We're not mindless, cold-blooded creatures without a soul. A kill means we see her as some kind of dumb animal. Something we need to destroy and control. Or maybe we're just hungry and we want to eat her. This is nothing like that. This has religion. This is part of something righteous, something holy. Americo smacks her, cutting her off. Beatrice cries out on stairs at him in shock and anger. Why? Why did you do that? Because I can't listen to you any longer. Because everything that comes out of your mouth is disgusting. Because I'm not under your power anymore. Not anymore. I'm a man. Didn't I fuck you like a man? That's why I said fuck you and you liked it because I'm a man. And your power's broken. It broke me. It broke when you showed how you feel about destiny. The spell broke. It's broken. You're not a queen for God. You're not righteous. There's nothing regal about you. You're empty. That's not true. No, you're empty. Destiny didn't fill you. She didn't fill you. Christopher didn't fill you. Nothing can grow inside a body that's just a wasteland. Stop Jesus it. Jesus didn't fill you. La Hang didn't fill you. I didn't fill you. You're an empty liar, a hypocrite. And I can control a liar. I have power over a hypocrite. I can fuck an empty queen. I'm not empty. Destiny said there's a light inside of her. Whatever that girl's got inside her, I've got it too. She said there's a light. I'm a Puerto Rican in the Bronx, just like her. I eat rice and beans, just like her. She is not better than me. If there's a light inside her, then I've got it too. If she sees spirits, then I should see them too. I should see them too. I have more right to see them than she does. I have more right to hear Christopher than she does. I have the right she doesn't. Wait, 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 wait. What has Christopher got to do with this? She says she hears him in Devil Land. Who says? Destiny. She says she can hear him in Devil Land. Oh, for fuck's sake. But I know she's lying. She's lying. Do you know how I know that? I know because I made sure that Christopher would never go to Devil Land. What do you mean you made sure? How did you make sure? I did what I had to do. Christopher died. It was an accident. He died. I know. It was an accident. A very bad, terrible accident. He fell out the window. It was an accident. 
Beatriz. It was an accident. He fell. Yes, yes. He slipped out of my hands. Yes, that's all. Like a small wet seal. I couldn't hold on to him. Right. That's what you told me. I remember. I was standing in front of the window. I was holding him. I was standing in front of the window in our bedroom. I was there, looking out. And it was raining again. A cold rain. A miserable, bitter rain. But Devil Land was quiet. The ground was still. And I remember when I stood there holding Christopher, I remember it didn't make any sense because even when it doesn't rain, the concrete, the damn concrete, it will still rumble at you. It will still remind you of all the bad children beneath the earth. And then I saw, I saw. What? What did you see? The green. I saw the green. There were a few trees up ahead next to the parking lot behind the building, and there was ice on one of the trees. The ice looked like rosaries hanging from the tree limbs. And as I looked into the green, I saw faces, all these faces. They were so pitiful and sad. They were souls of medical. There were the souls of every sinful child left in Devil Land. <laughs> it was a miracle. Somehow their souls had found their way to hover, to float, to climb up through the earth and into the roots and the bark and through all the tiny veins and the leaves just so they could speak to me before they had to go back down, down into their torment. No, they didn't, Bea. It was a trick of the light. It was the ice, the reflection of the frost on the trees. That's all. The children, they spoke to me through the green. Their breath sifted through the ice, and it formed a mist surrounding all the foliage. They said it was inevitable that Christopher would end up in Devil Land, too. He was too innocent, too pure, too good. He was so good. He'd be corrupted. He'd die young. He'd get into trouble. It was inevitable because we're in the Bronx, because we're Puerto Ricans, because we're poor. And then, and then, I let go. Oh, my God. We're the Mika miracle. I went down. I went down and found his body. It was so little, Bea. It was so tiny. We only had him for a month. That's all. We are not empty. How can you think we're empty? We are the meek. And at first, I put him in one of those trash cans. I didn't want you to get into trouble. I wouldn't let nothing happen to you. I wouldn't let it. God, he was so bare, tiny. God, he was so little, bare, tiny. Nobody would have found him at the bottom of the can. I dropped 
Christopher, so I can But I save couldn't him. do it. I couldn't put him in a trash can and leave him there. He was my son. I dropped him so he could stay innocent and pure. So he would go straight to heaven. That's a call. Somebody. Social services, your doctor at the hospital. And then you got sick in your head. You went back to the hospital. You were sick for such a long time. You got the pills. And I loved you. I loved you. And I felt sorry. I felt sorry because you told me, you told me that it was an accident. An accident! But you let go. You didn't hold on. You can take her. You can hold her throat while I plunge in the knife. And we will still be forgiven. I'll tell the police it was all your idea to take her, to steal her. I'll tell them you planned the whole thing. I'll tell them how you threatened me and that you beat me. Filthy bitch. I will. I'll tell them you make destiny hold your thing. I'll tell them you put it inside her. And they'll believe me. They'll believe me because I'll start crying and I'll keep crying and Destiny will start crying too. And they'll all see two hysterical females and one angry Puerto Rican man. And who do you think will get it worse? Who do you think will be in jail for the rest of his life? And the odd man and the strange woman could only stand there hating each other. There was simply nothing left to do, or to fix, or to adjust. They were no longer a twosome. Her wickedness was gruesome, and his weakness overwhelmed her with disgust. Yeah. Yeah, okay. 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 We'll do it. I'll do it. You can't wait for the poison to work. Exactly. We can't wait for Mrs. Santiago to talk to the cops. We have to send Destiny away now. We do it now. How can I kill another person, the odd man thought. How can I do this without shaking? He knew it would take a colossal nerve just to keep himself from quaking. By hook or by crook, he'd have to build up his pluck and take his unholy chances in the night. By hook or by crook, he'd need some liquid luck, enough to endure his degenerate plight. Blackout. Lights up. The rainstorm outside continues. We now hear occasional thunder. Amidst all this, we hear the sounds of Amerigo offstage. He is laughing and singing a raucous song to himself, overly loud and obviously drunk. Destiny hears him and hides under her cot. Amerigo enters. He is carrying a small hatchet and a half-empty bottle of Bacardi rum. Pop yourself a bottle. Get some tequila from the store. If you go drink, Destiny! As he's singing, he looks around the boiler room, waving the hatchet. He doesn't see Destiny. He continues singing. 
If you gon' drink, might as well drink till you hit the floor. Got so much liquor in me, don't know if I can take any more. Gotta drain the lizard fast, make sure to lock the bathroom door. Destiny, where you hiding? I know you hear me, Hita. Yes, you're here, I can smell you. You smell like baby powder and vanilla. And all I have to do is follow the smell <laughs> and the chain. Don't you know that? Don't you know you can't hide from me? You can't hide from me, so el conquistador. Amerigo roughly turns over Destiny's small cot. Destiny screams and runs past the table, but the length of chain will only let her go so far, and she falls to the ground. She grabs the shackle around her ankle and vainly tries to pull it off. <laughs> you can't take it off. Only I could do that. I'm the only one with the key. Mommy! Anybody will hear you with this storm? There's nobody listening. Your mommy's not listening anymore. She probably already thinks you're gone. The Grinch is listening. No, he ain't. He left you. He's left you all alone. You're alone. No one's coming for you. He gets down on the ground next to her. He grabs the back of her head. He looks so tiny. This will be quick. Please don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. Cl close your eyes. This is gonna be quick, mijita. I promise. Your axe is small. Yeah, but I know how to use it. It'll be quick. How will you do it? Something's changed again. Amerigo begins to slowly caress Destiny's shoulders, her neck, and her face in an intimate manner. Destiny is frozen with fear. I will ask you to close your eyes and bend your head down. I'll take off your top and push your beautiful long hair out of the way. I'll come up from behind you and put my back, put my hand on the small of your back. I feel how thin you are, how helpless and sweet. Then I'll bring it down fast and hard, and it'll be over just like that. I know how to use it. I can use it well. Will it be painful? Nothing more than a pinch. I promise you, Nena. Don't be scared. I won't be. I promise. Just stop crying. I don't want to hurt you. I'm sorry I've been bad. Oh, no, you haven't. I didn't mean to be. No, I don't think you're bad. Please don't hurt me. I, I'm sorry. None of this is your fault. I know you're a good girl. Then don't. Please. He knows you don't want to hurt me. Who knows? The Grinch. He's watching us. No, Nina. There's nobody watching. See? There's nobody else here but you and me. I miss my mommy. I want my mommy. I said stop crying. Stop it. Please. Uh, I can't do this. God damn it, I can't do this. Hey, 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 it's okay. It's okay. I can't. I can't do this. I can't do this. 
And the odd man knew that he spoke the truth, for destiny's eyes held him fast. He wouldn't destroy her innocent youth. Her sweetness had finally moved him at last. Amerigo moves away from destiny. He sets the hatchet down on the table and takes a swig from the bottle of rum. I don't know. You can't stay here, but I can't do this. I won't do it. Fuck her. We hear muffled sounds, a little laughter. Destiny is listening intently. There is a sudden flash of light, more laughter, and even Amerigo notices it. What the hell was that? Shh. Destiny, what's going on? The Grinch says he can help you. He wants to help you with Beatrice. She'll be mad at you again, and he says he can help. How can he help? But you'll have to do something first. What? 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 Destiny slowly, almost sensually, lifts her chain leg towards Amerigo. He stares at her for a moment and sits down beside her and begins removing the chain. Destiny knew now that her chance had arrived, and it was clear she wouldn't have to beg. If the odd man truly wanted her help, he'd first have to take the chain off her pretty leg. Beatrice enters and sees Amerigo removing the chain. Amerigo! I'm letting her go. No, you have to do this now! Amerigo angrily pulls out the long screwdriver from his tool belt and brandishes it toward Beatrice. Get away from her, or I'll break your neck. How could you take her chain off? It's over! We're not gonna kill her! Destiny is different. Destiny has religion. She called the black dog to come and save her. She put something in the boiler. What are you saying? I didn't put the Grinch in there. You can't do that, Destiny. You're different. No, she's not special. There's nothing special about her. You're an espiritista. You're a spiritualist. Dear God, Amenico, please don't say that. I have to grow up first. You can save me. Amenico, please. Only God can save you. No, I can't. You stole me. It's not nice to steal. I know, but Destiny, I learned my lesson. Remember the Grinch? He had to learn his lesson too, right? He can't steal Christmas, right? Because Christmas ain't something you can see or touch, right? It can only be inside you, remember? I guess. If the Tainos give me the blessing, then I can be saved, right? Please, Amerigo, you got to stop this. It's not up to me. It's up to Yaya. You can show me to her. Bring me to her. You can go yourself. You have the light. I can't. I don't. Yes, you do. Close your eyes. I can't. It hurts my eyes. But it's supposed to. It's the god light. What do you see? Destiny places her hand on his chest. Lights change. A medico appears suddenly paralyzed. Beatrice sees his reaction and gasps out aloud in horror. I see a stone. With three points. There's a man's face on the stone. He has legs like a frog, and he's angry with me. There are lights circling the top point, and the lights are exploding. They split open. I can see inside my body now. There's nothing there, nothing. I'm not Taino, I'm not Indian, I'm not Puerto Rican, I'm not a man. But if we were something once. I'm only blood and air, and my germs burst out. Like tiny, like tiny stars bathed in black coffee. How can we be nothing now? And when I open my eyes again, I see each star is glowing 
right through my pores. It shoots out surrounding me and the lights protect me. It speaks to me and says it will take all the pain away so I'll be safe. That's the God light. The God light inside you. You see, Americo, you see, you have your own. It's all right. Just close your eyes. You little bitch. Beatriz chases destiny around the table for a moment. The Grinch says you better not try to hurt me anymore. I don't care what he says. I don't give a damn. And Americo says you can't hurt me either. You don't speak for my husband. Come here. Lights change. The lights indicate a shift to an alternate subconscious reality. We knew you'd be angry. You won't be safe from Devil Devilin. This time nothing will save you. The Grinch knew you'd be upset. Stop talking like that! It's all right. I won't talk and Americo won't talk. But the Grinch really wants to talk to you. If you'll listen. I, I don't understand. It's okay. I think she can hear you now. You can talk to her. Americo? And now the time was ready. And everything was complete. Thus, the odd man opened his eyes and offered the strange lady a seat. But it was the way he did it, with his long, grinchy fingers, the way he gestured and touched her ear. It made the strange lady hold her breath. It made her suddenly overcome with fear. Amerigo opens his eyes. We see his body language has suddenly changed. He turns towards Beatrice and reaches his hand towards her in a grandiose, theatrical manner, his long fingers signaling for her to sit down. He is now the Grinch. Destiny moves behind Américo. Frightened, Beatrice warily sits at the table across from Américo. Atonement. That's the world we will look at first. Since your spirit is so pathetic and sad, it's possible you might learn something about yourself. At least we hope you realize you've been bad. Now don't look so gloomy. Don't just sit there and soak like some horrific monster ready to tear me apart. I do understand that mine may be of only peanut bulk, but hey, at least I still have a heart. A medical? Pity. That's the second word. It's the one I need to remember. Especially when I think of how much I, I hate you, you. And how much your limbs I would like to dismember. Did you think you could snatch the one important thing in my life and take it like some crook in the night? I may have stolen the Christmas beast, but I gave it back at the new dawn's light. As Amerigo continues, Destiny hurriedly and excitedly moves about the boiler room, forcefully pulling away the cardboard and wooden panels from off the windows. The light from the outside immediately begins to flood into the room, bathing it in a bright, shimmering green. Beatrice is unable to move, seemingly paralyzed and shocked by what she is seeing. The all-too-familiar droning from the boiler starts up again. Destiny, please, what are you doing? The windows. Yes, I'm bringing in the light, the god light. And the god light is so bright it can blind you. But they'll see us from outside. They see us already. We're not in secret, Beatrice. We've never been lost to their sight. The Tainos have you in their books, my dear girl. They know you're a vicious animal that bites. I'm not talking about the Tainos. The police. Oh, you worry too much. So things are cinch. They're going to condemn you, not arrest you. Now listen to your old friend, the, the Grinch. Grinch. You're not the Grinch. When you dropped Christopher, did he go splat? 
Was that your real motive behind an action like that? It's all very well to say that God's your reason, but truth is, I think what really scares you is just the rainy season. <laughs> Please don't say that about Christopher. Ooh, Christopher, Christopher. Christopher. You poor little squashed pancake. Your mommy's such a horrible witch whose own grinchiness was a bad mistake. Did Christopher know his mommy's a racist? Did he know she hates herself too? Well, that's what comes from this kind of living, you know. You end up full of that icky, self-hating goo. But I don't have to tell you that, right? You're not really capable of such scorn. It's for the best that Christopher ended up in Devil Land. Truth is, he should have never been born. No, don't say that. Beatrice reaches over and grabs a long screwdriver that Américo has thrown onto the table. Américo makes Américo as the Grinch, makes a grab for the screwdriver at the same time. Between them, the two of them briefly struggle with it. You answer for that vicious gleam of tooth. Then down a little way, down a little way, your dark disordered hair, your lips parted with a ruthless sound, your cold, inhumane stare. Then down a little way, down a little way, through the trash, through the heat, through the dark, through the glare. Please, Mr. Grinch. Through the scum, then down a little way, down a little way, and again, and then again. And since there's nothing left for you, finally, at last, it, it will, will all end. end. The screwdriver is plunged into Americo's chest. Both Beatrice and Destiny cry out in shock and fear. Americo slumps to the ground, and Beatrice immediately bends down and holds him. Mr. Grinch? Mr. Grinch! Stop it! He's not the Grinch! He's not your damn Grinch! He's my husband! Americo! Americo! You killed him. No, it was an accident. <sighs> Horrible sound from the boiler. Beatrice is startled, but Destiny jumps up with glee and claps her hands. <laughs> the boiler. He's okay. I'm so happy. A medical? <sighs> I'm sorry about a medical, but he's going to Kohabi now. The good side. That's why Garabinon came before. Americo was scared, but he didn't understand. If Guabiron comes for you, it means you're going to the good side, not the bad side. It means you're saved. I want to be with a medical. But you can't now. A medical was going to hurt me, but he didn't. That's what saved him. But you still want to hurt me. No. No, I don't. I yes, swear. you do. No, you don't understand. I just want to be with the medical police. But I, I won't hurt you, Destiny. You won't? No, I swear it. I won't hurt you. Horrible sound from the boiler. But this sound is different. Both Destiny and Beatrice are obviously affected by it. I'm sorry. The Grinch doesn't believe you. Why? Why not? You can leave. The door's not locked. You can go. You can get out of here. I can't help you. I won't try and stop you, I promise. I just want to be with my husband. I can't be here without him. I can't be here. Same sound again. Hudakan is coming for you. Who's Hudakan? I'm sorry. I have to go. I can't be here when Huracan comes for you. Destiny, please. The Tainos are coming. No. Yes. Yes, they come. Can't you hear the grand drumming? A drumming sound. The sounds of wind as well. What is that? What is it? What's coming through the wall? It's Huracan and the other Maboyas. They're answering your call. 
Can't you see them? Don't you hear them? This is your real family, the one you truly fear. Oh my god. Look how beautiful they are. Their bronze skin is so clean and bright. Their eyes are like tiny stars bathed in black coffee. Yes, yes. That must be the godlight. Is that right? It's the eyes of all the Dainos watching me. Their eyes are keeping me in their sight. Destiny begins to exit. A new greenish light gradually emerges from the boiler and slowly fills the stage. Beatriz continues to stare, transfixed in the direction of the Dainos. Daino drums begin to intensify. And the Grinch, who stayed hidden in the boiler that night, saw that Beatrice realized his actions had stirred a terrible fright. Devil Land was only a story, a tale that was told to scare and abhor. But such things as faith, self-love, and family, well, maybe those things meant just a little bit more. Amerigo, I promise. I will no longer be empty. I'll fill up. I'll fill up with the stones of hate and shame forever. I'll fill up with all of it. And then maybe we can sink together. We'll sink deep in the smells of Caribbean fish and sand. We'll sink deep into what we could never understand. And the Grinch will keep us in his pointed, slimy hands. The waters of his nightmare will become the waters of our own land. We'll see it, Americo. Yes, my love. We'll finally see it. The lights are slowly going down. They are disappearing. The Taino drums intensify. Beatriz holds Americo close. The sound of wind begins to escalate and build. And as the Grinch continued to listen, he knew it was time to do as he should. Meeting out punishment was only justified, he thought. It was completely warranted, necessary, and good. The boiler begins to open. The green light becomes brighter, richer, more sinister. There is a figure inside. We see the figure is moving. Beatrice sees it as well. Her eyes widen in fear and shock, and she screams. Blackout. End of play. Return. We will 
angel, your sinner, your saint, the glowing horizon, the glowing horizon, the glowing horizon won't wait. When you're lost, I'm your guide. Don't be scared, don't you hide. Our time is now, baby. Tomorrow must shed no tears. It's the hour before dawn, the point of no Before we start, I want to give a huge round of applause and thanks to our wonderful cast and our musicians oh for tonight. Yes. Way to fucking creep us out. <laughs> good job, y'all. Um, how are you feeling? I'm really good. Good, yes. good, good. Yes. And I want to do a shout out to Antonio as well, the wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the cast and Antonio, and thank you so, so much. You guys were incredible. Thank you so much. Yeah. No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, um, I, 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 as I told you, I immediately, like, love this play after I read it, after you submitted it. I really do think my um, binge-watching 12 seasons of Criminal Minds last year prepared me. <laughs> for this moment. I saw a you lot of fucked that. up shit. Yeah. Yeah. So like this was like a, a children's like this was like a bedtime story yeah. by yeah. that point. You, but you what was that. your inspiration oh, for I writing was, this? I um it, it it was 
early for me as a playwright. I mm -hmm. had started out as an actor for like 13 years. Um, I, I went to the College of Santa Fe in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Got my, <laughs> There's someone got else from Santa Fe? David. Oh, okay. <laughs> and got my BFA in acting and drama, came back to New York and started pounding the pavement. And uh, But when I hit my 30s, I, I, I needed more. I needed so much more as an artist. And I wanted to go back to school and get my master's in dramaturgy and mm -hmm. theater criticism at Brooklyn College. And that's when I started learning about writing and about being a playwright and specifically what goes into writing a good play. And this story came from an article that I read that actually did take place in the Bronx. Mm -hmm. And a superintendent and his wife did actually kidnap a young girl who lived in their building mm. and kept her in the boiler room for a better part of the year. And, and the, the purpose of it was to literally to create a family. The, the wife was unable to bear children. She was very religious, mm -hmm. and, and that was the whole point of taking her. And I was just absolutely transfixed and fascinated by this and carried the article with me. It, like just carried it in, in like in my bag for You're like just keeping about... dark articles in your pocket. Yes. <laughs> like what? Yes, I do. I mean, I guess I, back then we didn't yeah, have smartphones, I, so it's different. Yeah, yeah no, it's yeah. different. I mean, this was like you're talking. This is like 2005, 2006. Oh yeah, they were like Nokia's. No, no, oh, yeah. there was none of that. Okay, so we weren't carrying. Okay. I, I had it in my bag. I was carrying it with me, but every now and then I would take it out and I would just read the article again, and I just kept imagining these people in this room, what were they saying to each other? What was mm -hmm. going on? What was happening? And because I am, by nature, I have such a great love for the Gothic and for the, the great Gothic literary heroes like H.P. Lovecraft and, and Edgar Allan Poe, I, I found myself like moving and constantly twisting in that direction mm -hmm. of like darkness and Gothic and horror. And um, I began to imagine the idea of the young girl being this very powerful clairvoyant or being this this little espiritista as we know in the Latinx mm -hmm. community and a, a spiritualist. My grandmother was a spiritualist mm. who used to be, you know, overcome by the spirits. And this was something that I grew up with. This was something that I saw in my family growing up where suddenly she would be just doing uh, some everyday pedestrian mundane thing and would suddenly be overcome. And, and, and esos son espíritus coming over her. And, and this was something that was fascinating to me. And I love um, dark subterranean spaces and the idea of, of characters being trapped in these kinds of spaces and what it does to you on a psychological level. Where and do you how live, Desi? I'm sorry? <laughs> Where do you? <laughs> Giving you a look. <laughs> and yet I'm very sweet. <laughs> <laughs> of what you're portraying right now, but I mean. <laughs> so it was from there that I began to start actually writing the play. And the Grinch, for me, yeah, the, tell Grinch, us about the Grinch. Well, the Grinch uh, kind of started representing to me the whole idea of 
the New Yorkans assimilating into American culture and American pop culture. And mm. the, I mean, when I was a young girl, I mean, I every th Christmas, without fail, I watched The Grinch the Stole Christmas, mm -hmm. and I loved the Grinch, and at the same time, I found him disturbing and creepy. And I loved the fact that he had, as, as tiny and as small as his heart was, he had a special place in his tiny little heart for Cindy Lou Who. Mm -hmm. He had a special place for this little girl. Yeah. And then I, I wondered about the possibility of bringing that over into Devilland, and it was from there. Once that happened, then I began to, and don't get scared, I began, I began to hear these characters speaking. And this is how, that's when I know that I'm onto something, when I begin to hear the characters speaking. I'm aware that the voices in my head are the characters <laughs> okay. at all times. I'm glad you're aware I'm of that. I'm very much aware of this. And, but, but it's also exhilarating and exciting for me because as soon as I hear them, I hear them talking and speaking to each other, that's when I know I have a play. I have a play in there. And then at that point, I just, try to, it's for me, it's kind of like the idea of feeling the story in my body mm -hmm. and channeling it through on a very spiritual sort of level and just starting to write just what I'm listening to inside yeah. here. And that's how it kind of started. Yeah. And for me, this play, especially Devilland, was like the beginning of everything. This was like the beginning of everything in terms of developing my voice as a playwright. Um, and I was very fortunate, very blessed really early because in, in 2007, it got into the, the Summer Play Festival, um, which I'm sure you'd heard of. Uh, it was produced by Ariel Tepper Madover. It was mm -hmm. uh, done first at the Times Square Theater, then brought over to the public. And the play was presented there first. And then it got published and then it went to Chicago at the Urban Theater Company. Uh, for its Midwest premiere. So I was really lucky to have the opportunity to keep a working. Great life with keep this play. working, yeah. have a beautiful life and a journey with the play. And yeah. one of the reasons why I was so excited about being part of this season was that what I wanted to do specifically was to look at some previous drafts of things, because this always happens. You have different productions, things get cut, things get taken out. And I wanted the opportunity to bring back things that I had loved from the very first time that I wrote this play. Right. And, specifically and, for the audience. Yeah, and, and have the opportunity to hear it again and experience it again. Yeah. And that, that started from there. Kind of, yeah. Oh, that's great. It's had a journey, <laughs> and you've had a journey too, as you know, a playwright. And and we kind of talked, touched base on this um, when we were at the bar drinking. Yeah. Um, um, it, it 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 happened. Antonio was there too. Yeah. It wasn't just us. Mm -hmm. um, about this uh, kind of this this ageism that exists mm -hmm. in theater. So you're actually one of our older playwrights because right. um, we work specifically with um, emerging playwrights. Right. And so you're kind of like in this in-between place. And it's, so, it's so weird and we were like yeah. starting to talk about that. Uh, I mean, officially, technically, I'm still considered yeah. to be an emerging playwright. What's the hardest thing? The What's hardest like thing? one hard, like specific thing that's hard about being an emerging playwright, but being also an older playwright? Oh, it's so hard. Uh, the <laughs> first thing I would have to say is that 
there just aren't very many initiatives and programs mm -hmm. that allow and make room for the older playwright who perhaps has not had the opportunity to be nationally recognized, mm -hmm. but is still uh, a very productive, valid, relevant playwright yeah. and, and getting their work out there. And it's difficult because a lot of times when you're submitting your work for development programs, they have a very specific idea in mind yeah. of who they want to bring in. And it's usually not someone like myself. So what happens is that it, it, just, it just necessitates an extra like stronger spine for mm -hmm. myself. And just you have to be a lot. Um, you got to really believe in yourself regardless and just go, OK, fine. I'll find another program. Yeah. You know, I'll find another initiative. I'll continue writing. I'll continue submitting. Because basically, that's, that's all that you can do. Yeah. But it does create an issue. It does create a real problem. Because I think there are so many misconceptions about um, playwrights who are older, who have not made it. I think a lot of times the misconceptions are, well, if you're at a certain age, if you're of a certain age as a playwright, and you have not yet had the chance to be recognized, it's because the work is not, you know, the work, mm -hmm. you're, not, you're not putting out quality work. Well, um, I'm very much aware of what I bring to the table as an artist and okay. as a Latina playwright. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I, I, I mean, and I don't mean that as, a, as a like, oh, I'm like all that. You know, it's like it's not that at yeah. all. It's just you have to have that really strong sense of confidence in yourself in the light of all of that. I, and also, there are many other political ramifications involved, too. I didn't go to an Ivy League school. I, you know, I don't have uh, the certain kind of supporters and people in my corner. So how do you continue to navigate? It's mm -hmm. very tricky. Yeah. It's how do you continue to navigate through there? And no matter what you do, you do not ever allow yourself to become bitter. Or, or angry because you will no longer be able to create if you're bitter. Mm -hmm. It is impossible. It will close you up. You will close down completely. And I won't let that happen. And I won't allow something like that to happen because you just being an artist has always been such a privilege. I've yeah. always seen it as such a, a wonderful privilege to be an artist in the theater. I've always wanted to be in the theater ever since I was a young girl. Mm -hmm. And you can't allow the outside factors to get in the way and say, no, maybe not, maybe not you. Yeah. And it's, it's, it is very tough, but you have to keep working at it yeah. at all times. And so on that, that brings me to my next question, which is the question I'm asking all of our playwrights. Um, so in case you all here don't know or are listening don't know, um, this season is our fourth season. It's all dedicated to playwrights of color. Ow! So it's an awesome, very wonderful, colorful season. Um, which is and so, so cool. Yeah, it's really cool. It's so cool. And so, uh, you know, usually artists of color tend to get bogged down with like these um, negative type framed questions. And so I'd like to turn that around and say, what is the best thing about being a playwright of color? Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, uh, I, I see this a lot in like, especially in television and film, mm -hmm. this idea of uh, creating projects where the, the person of color is presented or the family of color is presented as, oh, you see, you see dominant culture, we're just like you. Mm -hmm. And I see that so much. And I, I, I want to say that 
that it's not true. We are not like you. Um, <laughs> no, we're not. And this is our this is our power. This is our strength. Um, we're we're not here to try to replace, but we are here too, and and we deserve a place here. And I, I just wish that those kinds of projects would finally at least learn to expand a little bit to allow the fact that, that I, I don't want to see any more projects with Latinos or Asians or African Americans where it's like, oh, it's okay, you know, we, we suffer just like you guys do and we go through the same things that you guys do. And I, I don't, I feel that there's something rather apologistic mm -hmm. about that. And it's, I don't want to see that anymore. I just want us to be able to present our stories like Devil Land, which is dealing very much with Neorican identity, mm -hmm. the Neorican soul, the whole idea of being a colonized people, the whole idea of Latinos uh, in New York City being frightened of their past, yeah. of being frightened of their history, because they feel that no matter what they do, they are unable to acclimate with the dominant culture. Well, quite frankly, we shouldn't feel like we have to. And the whole purpose of that show is that if you are if you are unable to feel good about mm -hmm. where you are from, where your source is from, where your heritage is from, I'm so proud of the fact that my ancestors are indigenous people, and I'm so proud of the fact that my ancestors are Tainos, mm -hmm. and and are from probably in my estimation, in my idea, although I am a New Yorican from the most beautiful island that has ever existed mm -hmm. on this planet. And, yeah. and that is what keeps me, keeps me going. And you know, that's, why I, uh, that's why I'm here. That's why I continue that's to beautiful. be here doing this. That's beautiful. <laughs> so we're going to start wrapping up with our last couple of questions. I, I think yeah. so, yeah. So if you have 60 up. seconds. And I know this goddamn motherfucker sent this fucking mass text to our goddamn fucking cell phones at 2.18 p.m. today. But if he was here in this fucking room, I'm saying the F word a lot, I don't fucking care. If he was in this fucking room, what would you say to Trump? Oh, oh my God, no, you don't understand. Or text to him, or oh, no. tweet. No, I've already presented myself in this really lovely light, and now... <laughs> That's that's going to be really, really tough. Someone get Desi a drink. Okay. <laughs> let me give you let me give you an idea of what happened just recently. I was I, I liked when I make breakfast. I set up my phone on the fridge and I play the news while I'm making breakfast. And I watch like all these different things like Seth Meyers. You know, this has been a closer look mm -hmm. with Seth Meyers or Jake Tapper on CNN. And I watched the press conference with, with Trump being so incredibly rude to this woman reporter who mm -hmm. was trying to ask him questions about the Kavanaugh uh, situation and trade. And she, you know, he, he says, you know, he said to her, oh, oh, she's shocked that I chose her. And, and she said, no, I, I was not, uh, I was not Mr. President. And, and he said, that's okay, you weren't thinking, you never do. And, and he literally said that. And, and she said, I'm sorry. And she remained such a professional, such an adult about it. Mm -hmm. She said, I'm sorry. And continued to ask the question. He said, never mind. What's your question? 
And I was, you know, I had a, a box of veggie bacon, and I'm, and I'm like starting to take the veggie bacon out. And I heard him say that, and for the first, I've never done this in my life. I grabbed the box and just like bashed it, like on the counter, was just hitting <laughs> it, and just hitting it and said, fuck you, you motherfucker, you stupid, sexist, racist, misogynist, motherfucker, I fucking hate you. See, and now you guys hate me. <laughs> now they hate me, Yvonne. No one hates you. We all feeling the same. You know, but it's like. You just got the platform to say it. Every, every day I'm in a state <laughs> of rage when I think about this man. Every day I'm in a, I've never in my life have disliked an American president, have so strongly, intensely disliked an American president mm -hmm. as much as I do this man. I think he is such a danger to our country. I think he is such a danger to this world. And there are times when I'm genuinely afraid for all of us, for all of us, yeah. all of us. Yeah. And um, you know, I, I'm gonna be voting in the midterms. Yeah, everyone go vote. Everybody gotta vote. Please, everybody, please vote. Let's get rid of yeah. this person. Let's not only him. You know, everybody's, I, and I will say this, I actually don't want him to be impeached. I want him to be voted. I know two, the, two more years is going to be so awful and so terrible, but I want him to be ele you know, elected out of the White House and, all, and just clean house, just get all of them out, all of them, Pence and Sanders and Mnuchin and, and, and all of them. And just other old, gross, yeah, just disgusting get, white man exactly, who just will get, die Just get rid of soon. Just get rid of Of old of age, because they're 90 yeah. plus years old. Yeah. Oh, and, and just one last thing. I believe Dr. Ford. So, hopefully, your morning was better than what it seemed like it was before. Not if I keep listening to the news, no. But what did you have for breakfast today? Oh, I, I had uh, today. Which is a, the, usually was, the last question. It was my husband's, it's today's my husband's and mine uh, 20th anniversary. It is! And that was my bonus question. What are your secrets to a long life? I, I plan to be a spinster oh, no. for, for 30, 30, at least until 65, then I'll get, I'll think about it. But like, what, what should I do to get to that 85 year old threshold? To, to get, to get, like to be married? Yeah, and, for and 20, like that's, that's a, God. that's a commitment. Honey, I think, I, honey, right, I think it's just the fact that, that you are the best friend that I've ever had in my life. And you have made me, have helped to make me a better person and to, no matter how bad it gets, as, as an artist and in the theater, you continue to believe in me no matter what and believe in my work. And, and, and I make you feel great about yourself and I help you and we help each other. And and he may, and the two of us, God, do we make each other laugh a lot? Mm -hmm. We laugh a lot, and the sex is good. Yeah. <laughs> All right then. Oh, sir, you, you it'll be on it'll be published in a few weeks, so you can hear it again. Play it back, rewind. We can send you the snippet even if you want that too. We can do that. There's a, a many things you can do with audio. Many things. 
What did he make you for breakfast this morning? Oh, we had waffles and scrambled eggs and, and veggie bacon with fruit. And, and uh, uh, what else did we have? Oh, and, and smoked and, salmon. Oh, I thought you were going to say and sex. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, OK, we get it. <laughs> OK, fine. Okay. <laughs> My god. <laughs> Well, with that, I'm going to say my thank yous. <laughs> thank you again to the Actors Fund um, Art Center for hosting us again tonight. You guys are always excellent. I'd like to thank our cast, Hayeni Contisano, Tanya Perez, Mateo Moreno, Sean Cavajal, Anthony Irizari. <laughs> Directed by Antonio Minguino. Written by Desi Moreno Penson. Our musicians tonight were Jennifer Cintron and Micah Burgess. Thank you to Fernando Castillo, our sound engineer. I like to thank my I would like to thank my wonderful TPS team, Jesse Manning, producer, Katie Donnelly, producing director, Blaze Teicher, artistic associate, Todd Kirkley, managing director, and produced by Business Lunch Productions. I'd like to thank you all again for listening to The Parsnipship. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Parsnipship NY. All of our previous seasons are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Our end of season three episode, Kevin Lamb, is available, and last month's Delicacy of a Puff and Heart will be available soon to listen and download. Our next two events and readings will be on October 23rd. We will be presenting Farmed, a live podcast album written by Trevor Bachman, and that is a collaboration with Theater C, Leica, and the Bushwick Book Club. After that, our next reading here at the Actors Fund Art Center will be The Ragged Claws by Lena Patel, directed by our wonderful Blaze Teicher, on Wednesday, November 7th at 7 p.m. Guys, reminder, that's the day after midterm election, so go out and vote, and then the next day, come to hear this episode. It's going to be great. Here at the Actors Fund, follow us across all social media and sign up for our e-blast for more information about our location and tickets. Thank you, everyone. But we have one final song before we end for the night. Just 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. <laughs> 